0: Tuesday, September 12th, 2017. Time for episode 25 of the Barnhart Podcast. If you have listened to some or all of the previous 24 episodes of this podcast, then you've surely picked up on a recurring theme. If you want to go to heaven, you need to enter the Catholic Church. Another theme on which you would have picked up in the past two dozen shows is that while the Church is the sinless, spotless, and perfect bride of Christ— Her members on earth are imperfect and sinful men who sometimes preach a gospel which is alien to the one Christ gave us while he was physically present among us on earth. This leads to confusing and difficult questions on the part of those who are not yet in the church but hearing this urgent message to come aboard the Bark of Peter, and we're going to talk about a few of those topics in today's episode. Perhaps a good place to start is with a recent audio clip of Steve Bannon on The Charlie Rose Show talking about the American bishops and the topic of immigration.
1: It's already making headlines for Bannon's controversial comments about the Catholic Church.
2: Bishops criticized President Trump's decision this past week to scrap the DACA program, which protects about 800,000 young immigrants from deportation. Look what he did on DACA the other day. Okay, I don't agree with that DACA decision, but I understand how he struggled with it. I understand how he's giving a possibility of a legislative thing, and he said even last night in a tweet, even in a tweet, he would rethink it. Trust me, the guys on the far right, the guys on the conservative side, are not happy with this. Can I remind you, a good Catholic, that Cardinal Dolan is opposed to what's happening with DACA. Cardinal... Total. The Catholic Church has been terrible about this. Okay, fair. The, the bishops have been terrible about this. By the way, you know why? You know why? Because unable to really to to, to 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 come to grips with the problems in the church, they need illegal aliens. They need illegal aliens to fill the churches. That's it's obvious on the face of it. That's what that's what the entire Catholic bishops condemning. They have an economic interest. They have an economic interest in unlimited immigration, unlimited illegal immigration. As much as Boy, I respect that's a card- tough thing to say about your church. As much as I respect Cardinal Dolan and the bishops on doctrine, this is not doctrine. This is not doctrine at all. I, I, I totally respect the pope, and I totally respect the Catholic bishops and cardinals on doctrine. This is not about doctrine. This is about the sovereignty of a nation. And in that regard, they're just another guy with an opinion.
0: Well, Ann, I'm sure you've got some opinions about this as well.
1: Where where do you even start? I'm still trying to control my laughter of um, Charlie Rose saying, (laughs) apparently, in in all seriousness, Cardinal Dolan. Cardinal Dolan. Like Like he's trying to
0: convince (laughs) himself that that's really the right title.
1: (laughs) Cardinal Dolan. Dolan is like, like like appealing to to Timothy Dolan as as some some uh, just exemplar of of Catholicism for, for anyone who's in the know who for anyone who knows anything about Dolan, that is a laugh line. That is a your ribs ache you' you're slapping your thigh. Dolan is an unctuous, unctuous. Sleaze bag, and in fact, you know, call, calling him an unctuous sleaze bag is almost an over the top insult to unctuous sleaze bags everywhere. This is a man who I don't know if you remember uh, when that sodomite football player Michael Sam did his little his little fifteen minutes of fame publicity stunt thing. Do you remember what Dolan said in that nationally televised interview?
0: I was going to Could- say something along the lines of of uh we are all Michael Sam now or good on him or something like that.
1: Good for him. Good for him. I'm not going to judge him. Okay, we're done at that point. But, you know, Dolan's been on my radar for years and years and years. There is there was there was a very famous uh whole uh it wasn't just a clip, it was an entire professionally produced montage in New York City that was produced um, several years ago on the occasion of the um reconsecration rededication of I believe that the the parish was St Francis Xavier Parish in Manhattan and there had been a huge fundraising campaign and they had, you know, refurbished the, the inside of the church. Here's the problem. This parish, St. Francis Xavier Parish in Manhattan, was the fag lesbian witch parish in in Manhattan. This is where all the sodomites went. If you go to their website, they are hosting um, this parish in addition to hosting not, not support to help people – attempt to get out of this life of never sufficiently execrated depravity none of that is going on they've got the groups in there the pride groups who are you know encouraging ratifying telling people that, that sodomy's great etc 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 and um, the, oh by the way they're also hosting um, they the parish hosts Buddhist liturgy. Buddhist quote unquote prayer, Buddhist liturgy. Um, does anybody know what the base premise of Buddhism is? Um, that there is no reality, that there is no nothing. Uh, you know, you you look at at God who says, "I am who am. I am existence. I am reality." Uh, you look at the 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 first the first lines, the first couple of paragraphs of the Gospel of John. And, you know, our Lord is, is the word. He is existence. He is logic. He is reason. The world exists. Things are real. We are real. The base premise of Buddhism is that there is no reality. There is nothing. And what you're trying to do as a Buddhist is you're trying to, uh, understand, comprehend, and then completely dissolve yourself into this great nothingness. So to say, I mean, this is this is so completely contrary to to Christianity, to the truth. It's so completely contrary to the truth. And here is this parish run by faggots, populated by faggots. That's and, and Dykes and they're what are they doing? They're doing everything they can to tear down the Catholic Church. Okay, so they they refurbished the church, it's reconsecrated. Dolan is the Cardinal Archbishop of New York, and so he goes in to do this. And it's just this fag parade. And they're introducing gay pride groups in the context of this mass. And Dolan is clapping and cheering and, you know, giving you know giving the, the the fist up, and you go, guys, and this is great. Oh, here's the gay pride club here in the parish. Fantastic. Clap, clap, clap. Waving, fists up. Fantastic. This guy is odious. He's absolutely odious. And so right, right out of the chute, you got Charlie Rose appealing to Cardinal Dolan as this great authority on anything, he's an authority on nothing. The man, the man, is a joke. And if it weren't for the fact that you know we are in this unprecedented situation that we're in, and I want to go back and I want to, I want to use and reiterate the fantastic phrasing of this that I uh, had in writing, um, quoting Father Linus Clovis, the Catholic Church and the anti-church currently coexist in the same sacramental liturgical and juridical space that is the situation so you know super nerd opened the podcast today by saying you know the these terrible things are happening and you know people how how can it's it's kind of this this almost schizophrenic um mindset that we have well all of these terrible things are happening, but at the same time, you know, Super Nerd and I and other Catholics are jumping up and down saying, you guys, you've got to get into the church. You've got to get into the church. You've got to get in the church. And people look at that at first blush and say, you're crazy, Anne. You're crazy. You're you're ranting and raving on a near daily basis about how you know the church has been infiltrated by sodomites and communists and freemasons and that the whole there's just a state of open war right now that the the very men inside the Vatican are literally trying to destroy the church they're literally trying to tear the whole thing down replace it with something else um I had somebody tell me this week. Uh, I had somebody tell me this week that, <laughs> and it, the context was highly credible, and the person was highly credible. And what was said to me exactly was, "Some of the most evil men alive today are inside the Vatican and inside the Curia, and that's absolutely true." And yet here we are jumping up and down, saying, "You guys, you got to get in the church. You got to get in the church." Yes, absolutely. And you know what? People are listening. People are paying attention and people are, are, are saying, yes, that's right. I do need to get into the church, even though it's under attack. In fact, precisely because it's under attack, precisely. But have you noticed that nobody gives a crap what the United Methodists have to say about marriage, sodomy or anything else? It's because they have no authority. They have no authority and I think deep down people people are starting to realize that um, nobody gives a crap what um you know it, where where I'm from in the central u s in cattle country I mean they're just there are these churches and some of them they even literally call themselves cowboy churches and so you know some guy will lose his job and he'll say well i'm just going to start a cowboy church and i'm going to declare myself the minister of this cowboy church and i'm going to i'm going to rent a storefront in a strip mall And we're going to have Cowboy Church and and I'm going to be the minister of it. This goes on all the time in the central U.S. Um, And not just in the context of Cowboy Church, just people starting churches. The blacks do this all the time. Someone just starts a church and, you know, they tend to declare themselves bishops and things like that, you know. Have you noticed that nobody really gives a crap to what any of these people say about any moral questions, about marriage, divorce and remarriage. Nobody cares because they have no authority. I think people are really seeing this attack and starting to wake up and say, "Wait a minute, th- this is this is hardcore, man. Satan is clearly clearly behind this and is clearly, you know, making a very intense push at completely destroying human culture and Christian civilization and where, where is the locus of this attack? It's the Catholic church because the Catholic church is the only, is the only church. It is the only true church and it is the only church that has any authority whatsoever. Hence this massive, massive attack and infiltration on the institutional church. So as, as Christians, as Catholics fulfilling You know, our Lord's command, the Great Commission, to go out and proselytize and get people in in these dark days. How do you go about that? What is the most successful tactic? The most successful tactic is to tell people the unvarnished truth. Tell people the truth. Imagine that. Tell people exactly, precisely what the situation is. Don't sugarcoat it, don't hide anything tell people the truth, because the truth is always attractive. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the truth. The Catholic Church and the anti-church currently coexist in the same sacramental, liturgical, and juridical space. And at some point in the not-too-distant future, it's going to split off. Bergoglio, anti-Pope Bergoglio, oh yeah, by the way, that's another thing. We have this unprecedented situation where we have an anti-Pope, and it's not it's not a political question. It is, it, this whole anti-papacy doesn't revolve around, you know, the fact that the the Pope used to be an absolute monarch of a pretty good sized territory in, in the central swath of Italy. And there were all kinds of political questions and anti-papacies happened. That's not what we're looking at here. We're looking at an anti-Pope who is uh, probably the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist. Probably the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist. And he is literally trying to destroy the Catholic Church. That is Bergoglio's agenda.
0: Which gets into a quote, I want to say, from C.S. Lewis. Um, I don't remember remember if it was him or somebody else talking about one of the proofs that the Catholic Church is the correct church, is that it had lasted, at that point, almost 2,000 years, in spite of the fact that the humans running it seem like they're trying to destroy it at times, in addition to everybody outside the church trying to destroy it. That was the proof that that there was a divine force guiding and protecting it.
1: Exactly. Oh, and and I'm so glad you said that, because that's so relevant to— to the whole situation with with the anti papacy, um. So you've had, yeah, you've had a few spectacularly bad men, Alexander the Sixth Borgia, um. Who was who's the other one? Ah, uh, ben- Benedict the Ninth, I think, was a sodomite. Paul Sixth Montini in, in the 1960s and 1970s, he was a sodomite. He was, if not a communist himself, he was extremely communist, communist friendly. Um, were there were more than a th- few
0: rumors about John the 23rd as well.
1: Uh, being a Freemason, John the 23rd is strongly rumored to have been a Freemason, et cetera, et cetera. Well, one of the more far yeah. out
0: theories is that, um, and I, again, this is worth the paper it was written on something I found on on the internet. But the idea being that when you join the Masons, you're given a new name, kind of like when you're, you're uh, confirmed, you get a, a confirmation name and that mm. when uh, John the 23rd joined the Masons, his name given was John. And that was his signal to the Masons when he was elected, what his agenda was by taking the regnant name of John. Okay. Ball that up on a piece of paper and throw it away. That was—it's just a, a, something I found somewhere. It's interesting. It's, a, it's an idea to keep in mind in case you ever hear corroborating uh, information again. But just look at what happened in his papacy for crying out loud. There were there were there are things that make you scratch your head and saying this doesn't seem right.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we've we have we've had this situation all along where you, you absolutely have had some spectacularly awful people inside the institutional church. And despite all of this and just general human weakness, general human failing, et cetera, et cetera, the institutional church has has held it together. Never, ever before has anything, anything like what Bergoglio is doing on a near daily basis, has it ever happened? This just absolute dismantling, destroying, as Professor Seifert put it, the, the near... The near total, the total destruction of Catholic morality, which is what, which is what Bergoglio's documents are doing. Okay, this has never happened. As a convert, I can tell you this is one of the most compelling arguments and proof sets. for for coming into the church is like you know that's absolutely right human beings just screw everything up they mess everything up something this big something with this much money corruption 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 and and look that it's held together and it has never ever taught error it's never taught error until now okay Now we have to start asking the question, what's going on right now? Well, this has all been prophesied. It's all been foretold. There would be a mass apostasy from the top and that there would be the establishment of an apostate anti-church. Okay, so can we look again at Father Linus Clovis's phrasing of this? and say, yes, that's correct. Right now, the situation right now is the Catholic Church and the anti-church currently coexist in the same sacramental, liturgical, and juridical space. That is the situation. That's the truth. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you, oh, everything's fine, everything's wonderful. You you all need to get into the church now while you, know, you can just walk into basically any Catholic Church and and get in and, and have it not be a fully broken away apostate anti church. That day is going to come. I, I don't know when and I don't know what the event will be that will that will trigger to us and will clearly show us that now this is a completely different thing. All I know is that it will be clear because God is not a jerk and he's not trying to give us a shake or anything like that. We're we're gonna be able to see when it happens. But right now, yes the church is still the church get in now. And then when the apostate anti-church breaks away, all right, we're going to have to be manly and we're going to have to play it by ear and figure it out as we go and figure out, okay, where is the mass being offered validly, obviously, and that's going to be the priority. And at some point, I I assume that it is going to go underground and we are going to have to go underground, especially the, the, you know, the venerable Gregorian, right? People have been saying all along, Oh, Bergoglio. He doesn't care about liturgy. He, he doesn't care one way or the other. Maybe Bergoglio doesn't care too much about liturgy. You know, who does care about liturgy, Satan, Satan cares about liturgy and Satan is the driving force behind Bergoglio period. Full stop. That means that, Oh yes. We're seeing, we saw it within the last week, Bergoglio is now saying that all liturgical translations in the Novus Ordo into the local vernacular languages will no longer be centrally controlled by the Vatican, but the bishops' conferences will have control over it. This is going to be a race to the bottom. They're going. These bishops, these faggot bishops, are going to be competing with each other, literally, to see who can be the first one. To, I suspect, invalidate the Mass. Um, so changing the words of consecration to something like um, this symbolizes our body, or um, this cup symbolizes our blood shed in solidarity with with one another or something like that. Don't, don't you doubt it. This is going to be a race to the bottom for these faggots to see who in, a, in an effort to impress Bergoglio and his, his clack of faggots to see who can, who can do the most damage and, and invalidate the mass. That's what this is going towards. So you say, well, Bergoglio doesn't care about... Lit- well, he, he doesn't. He hates it. He hates the old mass. He hates Catholicism. He hates the Catholic Church. He clearly is going to go after this. And Satan, you have to pull the focus back and say, look, do we believe in any sort of supernatural reality at all? It's I'm really puzzled by, especially even trad Catholics, who just really seem to go through life and, and not concretely action on the ground seemed to demonstrate too much belief in the supernatural aspect of all of this. Who is behind Bergoglio? Satan. Satan's behind Bergoglio. Satan hates the mass above, above everything. He hates the Eucharist above everything. Of course, Satan's going to go after that. So, um, you know, it's just Bannon going back to Bannon and the clip that we played, Bannon clearly isn't paying attention if he says and he means that, oh, I, I have no problem with the bishops and I have the utmost respect for the bishops. You have the utmost respect for the bishops. You have the utmost respect for the bishops, the bishops who are standing by in silence at best while Bergoglio, anti Pope Bergoglio, tears down the church. Well, to qualify it, he
0: he did say on dogma, and to be honest, most of the time the bishops don't really talk about dogma, they're talking about DACA.
1: Well, yeah, DACA, D-A-C-A, and what Bannon said, I mean, we've beaten the horse about the fact that, yeah, Bannon is absolutely right about the fact that the whole illegal immigrant thing— is pure racketeering. That is a pure racketeering scam that the institutional church, remember the Catholic church and the anti-church currently coexist in the same sacramental, liturgical, and juridical space. So it is a racketeering uh, dynamic here where they are using the bride of Christ as a facade for a massive, massive, basically money laundering scheme. The church, because everybody's fallen away, ninety percent of have have just left the church, and there's there's not the the revenue stream coming in from traditionally from just, you know, tithing revenue and so forth. None of that exists it's basically dried up the only way that these bishops can generate any sort of income or revenue is to be a a middleman a for-profit middleman between people and the government so m- m- using people to generate uh, uh, invoices basically one way or the other be it healthcare delivery be it education or now human trafficking That's what this is. It is human trafficking, and the bishops are, they are the ones who are doing this, because they are billing the U.S. government tens upon tens upon tens of millions of dollars for this invasion force that's coming across the southern border. Um, So Bannon is correct in that respect, and it's also the same thing in Europe. Same exact thing. The church is getting money in from these Soros organizations, from the, you know, from the EU, et cetera, et cetera. It's exactly the same thing to literally import a Muslim invasion force into Europe for the express purpose of destroying Europe, destroying old Europe as it is. They hate it. They don't want anything. They, they want to tear it down. They look at the beauty of, you know, the cultural richness and patrimony of Italy and, and Germany and France and Spain. And they hate it. And they want to destroy it. I, I can't overemphasize this enough. They actively, consciously want to destroy, let's be honest white Christian civilization. They want to destroy white Christian civilization.
0: And, Self-loathing and in, in terms of go history ahead. rhyming again, one of the original twelve bishops was overly concerned with money as well. And he's also the one who had a big problem with the Eucharist too. And so we see Indeed. this theme coming around again.
1: Certainly, certainly. Um and so Bannon's correct it is a racketeering thing, but you know, you you almost have to go beyond that. And you the way that you get people into the church and you know the new new evangelization if you will is tell people the truth if you stand in front of people and lie to them and say no this is all fine nothing's wrong everything's cool that's that's just repulsive it's absolutely repulsive if you want people to enter the church tell them the truth and say hey man we you need to get in for for the sake of your own soul Here's the satanic plot that is unfolded that is trying to convince you not to enter the church. And here's why it's so urgent that you do it. And please, we we need your help. Join up with us and fight this. And you know what? People will. People will do that. But not if you lie to them. You got to tell them the truth. So, I mean, it was just, I I heard that clip and it's just... (sighs) It, 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 as with most things now these days, there's there's a little bit of truth and good there, but it's just not even remotely close to enough. Bannon, what Bannon said was about half right, but then he, he just people just won't take things all the way to the truth it has to be 100% with the truth. You can't be 70%. You have to be at 100%. That's the only acceptable level. You can't back off for the sake of, of moderation or being being attractive to people it's because it isn't it's exactly the opposite why do you think people stopped going why do you think people stopped going to mass and left the church in in the late 1960s and through the ni- 1970s because it was just so watered down and so weak that they just said this is this is ridiculous i want nothing to do with this it's repulsive it's repulsive and try you know trying to trying to kiss up to and ingratiate the priests trying to kiss up to and an, and ingratiate themselves almost exclusively to the women, you know, that dynamic that just drives every sane man away immediately. Um so yeah, the the key to this is to tell the truth about it. And, uh, the truth Bannon. is, it's
0: a dumpster fire on top of a dung heap. Here's your fire extinguisher. Here's your muck shovel. Get in and help out. And our That's lady right. has our lady has foretold this, and she said the saints of the latter times will be will be fighting with one hand and rebuilding the church with the other. So it, it, this shouldn't be a big surprise.
1: Yeah, I mean, anybody who is taken aback by any of this, I mean, I'm sorry, but you you just don't have much of an excuse. I mean, you look around at the culture. What do, what in the world do you expect? You know, oh, God, God shed His grace on the United States of America. Are are you crazy? Are you insane? This this child murdering factory, um, pushing this sodomite agenda all over the world. And, and you say, oh, God shed his grace on the United States of America. I, n- no, no. God bless America. No, why, why would he do that? Why in the world would he do that right now? It's, this shouldn't be any surprise at all.
0: So not only is the Catholic Church the uh, surest way of getting to heaven, but a great opportunity for, <laughs> for, for uh, helping to rebuild the faith at this point in time. I think the entire world almost is a missionary zone. We, we need to reintroduce the faith as much as possible. And talking about the faith and how do we express that and live it on a daily basis, that comes around to the Mass and how to pray the Mass. And I think that's the topic you really wanted to get into today, Anne.
1: Yeah, I mean I get lots and lots and lots of emails. You know, what what do you do when you're at mass? I don't understand. And how do this how does this work? So I thought we'd just do a very quick primer and super nerd jump in. If it if you have any pet peeves or anything that you want to say about mass and what goes on and what shouldn't go on and so on and so forth, man, jump in at any time. So um the first thing that I'd start with is well before you even leave the house, what to wear um don't don't roll into mass even a daily mass looking like a slob there's no excuse for that and this is this is a rant that I go off on just in culture in general running around looking like a slob um, being dressed like a slob this is um a symptom of this culture and it shows a fundamental lack of respect for other human beings. I personally endeavor not to walk out of my house unless I am dressed in, a, in an outfit. And I'm not talking about, I, do, I never go outside in sweatpants or, or anything even remotely like that. I do not leave the house unless I am quote unquote dressed. And also I almost never leave the house as a woman without makeup on. Because I think, again, this is a sign of fundamental respect for other people that you care enough about your appearance and your personal physical comportment that you will go to those efforts to um, present yourself in a a respectable way. One of the ways I think that women can do that is to wear a little bit of of well-applied, modest, not over-the-top, a little bit of makeup just so that, you know, you look your best as a woman. Beauty is a constitutive quality of God. It is not a bad thing to, in your physical person, do what you can to make yourself... A little bit beautiful, if if you possibly can. So I will I will say that. That's my rant, and I'm sure there's people out there listening. Who say, oh my gosh, she's a whore, she's a Jezebel. Yeah, because I wear lip gloss. I, I, I if if you want to make that argument, go ahead. But I don't know. I it, for me, it's it's a sign of respect to others just to appear well. So, um, women head coverings. Yes, I always have my head covered at mass, either with a chapel veil or more often um, I have, I love hats. I love to wear hats. I think women should wear more hats. I think men should wear more hats too. And so I wear hats a lot always though. Yes. I think women should have their head covered at mass. Absolutely. Um, Anything else you want to say about the guys super nerd about how to, How to go to Mass, what you should wear, what you should not wear. Neckties, I think um, gentlemen would do well to to wear neckties more often. It's not that big of a deal, and it's something—
0: Presenting yourself well really comes across as expressing the dignity of the human person, and that has to do with the fact that we are rational animals redeemed by the blood of Christ— uh, because we have that share of, of divine life, or have the ability to gain in that share of divine life, that's what sets us apart from the rest of the animal kingdom, and this right. is where what brings us uh, the dignity inherent to our nature. And so we we show that by dressing appropriately. Uh, you wouldn't go to a job interview wearing t shirt and flip flop. Well, maybe in maybe in Silicon Valley, but that's that's different. That's not reality. That's but that's see, California. but I,
1: I'm glad you said that because that whole Silicon Valley culture, where it's you know just wear flip-flops and wear wife beater shirts and and things like that all the time, that is a direct corollary to the cultural problem. You see that whole devolving down of everything, everything, everything until you see people running around, you know, mostly naked or trying to be as close to naked as they can possibly be. And it, that's exactly it, because this culture is trying to get man to convince himself that he's basically an animal. So I'm glad that you said that.
0: Well, I just saw something recently with regard to the uh, hurricane that just beat up on Florida. Talking about people who left their abandoned their animals behind, um, wanting to refer to animals having rights the same as human animals have rights. Just we're setting aside the whole idea that humans are special and we're we're gonna say they're just like the rest of the animals, a little bit different. Just, you know, two legs are better than four apparently. But that's only this week. And so the, the idea that some people are, are, are pushing more than a few people on the left are pushing that humans are just animals. And so the, the question yes. of who has rights, uh, this is going to get a little crazier as we go. Just to denying the whole idea, well, denying a whole bunch of things, really, but the inherent dignity of the human being is the ability to reason. You know, show me an animal who can reason, and then I'll, I'll engage you in the argument about whether or not animals should have rights.
1: Right. And so something, I, it occurred to me that men, you know, when I was talking about as a woman, put on a little makeup, put on a little lip gloss, just so you look a little bit a little bit perky and a little bit nice. Men, men I think should they should keep their hair cut, they should shave. You should keep your your facial hair groomed and looking good and in check whether you have facial hair or whether you're clean shaven. This business of people running around just kind of willy-nilly. This is very this is very um very popular and very trendy now for men to just always perpetually look like they've got, you know, about two days worth of growth or something, basically to look like a slob, basically to look like, uh, you know, some sort of a quasi-animal running around. Show some respect for yourself and for other people and for God Almighty, who this unbelievable gift that we're given, that we're even able to go to Mass, you know, we're able to go and be at, at the foot of the cross you you hear a lot of people today say well Jesus Jesus doesn't care what I'm wearing actually yeah yeah you, he really he kind of does because what you're wearing speaks volumes about your your mindset your comportment um your self-respect your respect for other people and your respect for God and his holy church. So this whole argument that Jesus doesn't care what I'm wearing, that that's, that's weak, and it falls flat very, very quickly.
0: Um, well, it's also said so, that manners is one of the ways you demonstrate your respect for other people by the way you comport yourself, the way you dress, the way you behave toward people, all the more yes. so when we're talking about God.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So that's what to wear. Um, also— you know don't be late <laughs> just obviously but we have to say things like this in in this culture um d- don't be late to mass show up on time um mass might start late and but that's neither here nor there you need to be there on time um when when you enter a catholic church silence there should be silence. If you have to to communicate anything to anybody, it should be at a whisper, and it should be with the absolute minimal amount of words. You don't roll into church and act like it's a social situation. You don't roll in and be, start greeting everybody and, oh, there's my buddy this, there's my buddy that— this this is not a socializing space. Okay, the 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 nave of the church is not a socializing space. And for heaven's sakes,
0: put your phone in airplane mode or leave it in the car.
1: Yes, absolutely. Silence your phone, and in fact, it's gotten to the point now where you know everybody has has. Uh, setting on their phone where it can just be set to vibrate. Some of those vibrates are so loud that it's basically just a muffled ring. I would say completely silence the thing or leave it leave it in the car, leave it elsewhere. Don't bring it in. The other thing that bears mentioning about that, and I'm glad you mentioned the phones, is these phones now, um, they listen. Facebook, Google, they have now settings in these phones where the phone is listening. And so it's listening for keywords in order to drive advertising content at people. And I mean, obviously, this can be used in an extremely nefarious way. They're basically little surveillance devices. You should assume at all times that your phone is listening, okay? That's just the technology now. What this means is you should never take your phone into the confessional with you and if you happen somehow to see through the grate or or spy that Father has a phone in the confessional, because you know some priests, especially younger priests, will have prayers or the office or something on their phone in the confessional with them, you should you should ask Father to um, please take your phone out of the confessional. This is this is getting to be a pretty serious concern now. Don't take the phone into the confessional with you. Never ever ever. And turn it off.
0: Oh, I was going to say um, about ten years ago, I, I shared with a priest uh, a story. It was from the FBI, I believe. They it was a it was a mob case where even though the mobsters had their phones turned off, the FBI was able to turn it back on and use the the, the microphones on the phones in order to do wiretaps, ro- roving yeah. wiretaps, basically. And the whole point was just because they were near a cell phone. And the the priest's face when I told him this, he went absolutely pale i thought he was gonna be sick but where he connected the dots was that he always had his phone with him because that was the clock basically it was a way of saying okay do i have enough time before uh wrapping up confessions and starting mass well Mm -hmm. and and then he gave a sermon on that not too not too much longer later where he not only brought up that topic how your cell phone is the the little rat in your pocket constantly ratting you out to whoever wants to listen to it but then also connecting the dots of cases civil cases where um the 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 state authorities had wiretapped a confession in in um i want to say it was in Oregon or something like this, but the the guy was in prison, and the priest came to hear his confession and that was recorded and the d a mm. had copies of it and everything and it took uh the apostolic nuncio uh to suppress it. They would never uh delete it though the point being that uh civil authorities will record things they should not do. Such as confessions, and your phone is a is a wiretap device, basically. Uh, it has been used for that many times, and uh, the, the technology for for wiretapping is is something for another show, but basically you you can uh, do a proximity roving wiretap. So basically you want to follow an individual even if they don't have a phone as you as they walk around by people with phones, you can get a a, a search warrant that allows you to, to turn on everyone's uh, microphones right around the person. To have a roving wiretap. So the point being, don't bring that thing into the confessional. You're risking um, jeopardizing a lot of things. And 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 uh, in the case of the priests, if they knowingly take a phone in there, they could be violating the, I mean, not intentionally, I would hope, uh, violating the seal of the confession. So th- this is serious business. Don't bring that thing into the confession with you.
1: That's right. Um, let's see what's next, what to bring. Well, I obviously recommend that people have a missile. Um, you don't have to have a missile, but boy, I strongly recommend it. And the reason that I recommend it is best summed up by, um, a little, a little blurb that is printed in the front of my missile. And I cannot follow this. Um, I I can't, come up with any phrasing, of course, that's any better than this, so I think what I'll do is I'll just read it. Here it goes. "'The way in which the Holy Mass should be followed. There is one truth which is generally lost to sight, a truth which, however, explains in a particular way the liturgy of the Holy Mass, namely that the Holy Sacrifice is not dedicated to God by the priest only, but by all those who are present.' The priest is the consecrated minister of this sacrifice, deputed by Holy Church, but the faithful, through their baptism and joined with the priest, are also invested with a kind of priesthood. They say Mass together with the priest. They are, those present in the first place, offering with the priest. The priest, saying Mass, speaks in the name of a multitude, and so he says in the plural, "'Let us pray.'" we offer brethren pray that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the father almighty. It is possible to think of this and to content oneself with saying some prayers with a distracted mind. Excuse me. I'm my inflection on this is incorrect. Is it possible to think of this and to content oneself with saying some prayers with a distracted mind without paying attention to the sublime office with which one is invested and more than this, the faithful not only are offering the sacrifice together with the priest, but with Jesus Christ, they offer themselves to the Lord, our Father in heaven. This is brought out in the prayer after the offering of the wine, with humble spirit and contrite heart, may we be may we be received by thee, O Lord, and may our sacrifice be so offered up in thy sight this day that it may be pleasing to thee, O Lord God." Always bear in mind this exalted and comforting thought when hearing Mass, and you will avoid reciting the prayers too quickly without paying attention to the wonder that is being performed only a few steps from the place where you are. The best way of hearing Mass is to join in spirit with the priest and to follow closely all that happens at the altar. Never forget what we have said about the significance of the Mass in this chapter, and think that you are standing beneath the cross of the dying Jesus to catch in your soul a drop of the divine blood, a drop that has power to deliver the whole world from all sin. We give here some practical hints which will help you to follow the Holy Mass with piety and fruit. Okay, I'll go through these. These are a little bit repetitive, but it's good. Number one, arrive a few minutes early to recollect yourself. Stay a few minutes after Mass to make a suitable Thanksgiving. And if you need prayers, the missiles that that Super Nerd and I will recommend, and we'll have links to all of this, they have oh oh so many prayers for before, after, during, at certain parts. There's all kinds of, of, of prayers written and in these missiles, or you can just, obviously, you can just pray yourself in, in your own mind. Number two, offer the Mass in your heart and mind together with the priest to adore God, to thank him, to make reparation for sins, and implore his pardon, and to ask for new graces. Number three, follow along in your missal, reading the prayers of the Mass together with the priest and the sacred ministers. Number four, Where it is the custom, sing the chants of the ordinary of the mass together with the choir at high mass, and answer the prayers in Latin together with the servers at low mass. I'm going to have a comment on that in a moment. Where this is not the custom, then follow along with your mind and your heart. During the canon of the mass, number five. During the canon of the mass, at the memento of the living and the memento of the dead, call to mind your family, friends, and benefactors whom you wish to have a share in the graces of this holy sacrifice. And that's the end of the little preface in my missal. Um, so, I guess a couple of things. First, just reemphasizing. Yes, you you should. The, the word is active participation, and the whole lie about um, the promulgation of the novus ordo and all of this is that well, the old mass—it's basically impossible for any. Nobody's. None of the faithful are actively participating, and so we have to make this novus ordo mass where all of the people are doing all of the things on the altar and the priest does basically, you go to some Novus Ordo masses and all the priest does is the consecration. And then he basically just goes and sits down. Everyone else is doing everything else, including laity women in the sanctuary. It's absolute disaster. This is a lie. This is a lie from the pit of hell that there is no active participation of the lay faithful in the old mass. Um, well you you mentioned,
0: you mentioned earlier the whole idea that we, we we pray the mass together, and this is symbolized in the offering of the wine you even mentioned the wine that uh, about ninety nine point nine percent of what is in the chalice is wine, but then Father will add one or two drops of water that is symbolizing mm-hmm. humanity and those of those of us here present who bring their their offerings, their sacrifices, their prayers, and that commingles with the wine to the point that it is indistinguishable and that is offered up to God. At, at the consecration. So it, it is, it's symbolic and real at the same time that yes. we're, we're in this together. It's, it's the priest who is doing it on our behalf in terms of being the consecrated minister, because we are not consecrated ministers. We cannot effect transubstantiation. The priest does that. But we are doing this together. And yes, there is an active participation that takes place there. It's mental, though. If you're running your trap thinking, this is how I actively participate, you've completely missed the idea.
1: Right, exactly. So uh, as the missile, this little blurb in the missile said, ideally, when you are at mass, you should have a missile and you should be following and paying attention to everything that goes on up on the altar. And they say, well, and it's low mass, it's silent. You you can't follow anything. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. If you go to mass for any length of time, and I'm talking about low um low Tridentine mass, which is what most daily masses are. And in a lot of places, that's all you get on Sundays too, because they just don't have the the personnel and the ability to do high sung masses. So you, you go to a low mass. I am, I am now to the point because I mean, I've been going to daily daily mass now for years and years and years. You, I, if you were to walk me in or drop me into a church and mass was being, low mass was being said up on the altar. It would literally only take me a few seconds. I could see by what the priest is doing, where he's standing, the arrangement of um, the missile on the altar, where's the missile, what side is it on, um, et cetera, et cetera. I can tell you exactly where we are in the mass within just a few seconds and understand most of the mass is is silent. A good portion of it is silent. You can tell exactly the other thing that's really cool about the mass is that there are a series of what I think of as, as like road markers where the priest will say, will say the first three lines of a certain prayer out loud. And one of the things that one of the reasons for that is so the faithful can kind of resynchronize with the priest and say, okay, now he's at the now he's at the nobis quoque peccatoribus, you know, and and to us also thy sinful servants. Okay, he's at that prayer right now. So if you if you weren't exactly with him, you can you can see these little landmark things saying the first three, um, the first three words of a certain prayer out loud. There's a couple of times where the priest, you know, turns around says Dominus Vobiscum and you know exactly where you are. So there are all of these little um, rubrical landmarks that happen throughout the mass. You just have to go, you have to go and you just have to learn the mass and learn how to do these things. And it's not, it's actually not difficult at all. All you need, basically the first time through is to have someone help you show you how your missile is laid out. Here is the mass itself. Here are the propers the the variable prayers for all of the different feast days. Okay, every single feast day in chronological order is is in this part. So put your little bookmark here. And then here before the Mass, this is where all the Sundays are. So if it's Sunday, you know you're going to be in the part before the middle of the book where the Mass is. The Mass is, uh, the fixed part of the Mass is almost always in, in the exact center of the Missal. And then, you know, the Sundays are before the daily feasts, in the whole calendar, the whole year. I mean, my missile, It's a it's a 1962 Baronius Press. Um, 1962 meaning that's the liturgical book, not when it was made. It, I I bought it brand new ten years ago, um, and it's starting to actually fall apart. But I measured it. It is um, seven inches long four and a half inches wide and it is two inches tall and it has I think it has like 2200 pages um and it fits it fits in my purse it it's it's not teeny tiny but it fits in my purse and so it, it just goes around with me all the time um So how do you get one? Well, you can buy them off of Amazon. Um, I would recommend, and and Super Nerd, you can chime in if you have any thoughts on this. I would get a 1962 missile because that's what almost all of the Tridentine masses that are said today in the world, the vast, vast, vast majority of them are according to the 1962 missile. And so that's the one that you want. The 1962 missile has has problems and after the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, without any question, it will be revised, things will be changed. Um, I wanna make clear there's a big misconception amongst trads, um, why, why 1962? Well, it it's all has to do with Archbishop Lefebvre. And so when, when he formed the SSPX, um, a lot of people think he chose the 1962 Missal just because he was dumb and he, he didn't have—he didn't care about liturgy, and the SSPX doesn't really care about liturgy. And so he just said, okay, um, whatever the first one was before the council, that's what we'll go with.
0: Yeah, he, has, is, he, was, he had a doctorate in canon law and a doctorate in sacred theology. Yeah, he's dumb.
1: He's dumb. He's dumb. He just said, uh, just take the one the first one before the council. no. The reason why he took the nineteen sixty two missile is because he felt it was more important to um, to counter any accusations of sedevacantism uh, that or that he was a, scr- a subscriber to the Siri thesis or any of these things and so it was very very important to him that he have that he used the missile that was promulgated. After the death of Pius the 12th, you see what I'm saying? That's why he chose it. It was to, it was to beat down and completely refute any notion that he was a set of a and that he was a person who believed that, that, the sea was empty since the death of Pius XII. That's why he chose 62.
0: And and, and that's the missile the priests are using for saying the Mass. And and I, I point that out to say that one of my favorite hand missiles is actually the St. Andrew Daily Missile, which I believe is a 1945 edition. And mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. The, one of the reasons I like that is the Sunday Masses has usually a page or at least several paragraphs describing the feast for that Sunday including what's being read in the breviary that week. I mean, it's, it's a, a course on church history. Uh, it's a course in theology. It's a course on, on, on the, um, the, the mass that you're going to be going to as well. And it really helps to prepare you, uh, what are the themes on which you should be meditating while you're mm-hmm. at mass? And that really gets to that active participation of contemplation. That's, that's the real active participation at mass for the faithful. We're not up there, um, on, on the altar, Saying the mass, or even you know, not counting the the altar servers, we're not actively taking part on on the other side of the communion rail. If your church has a communion rail, that's that's another topic entirely. But yeah. I, I I like that that particular missile because the the richness of the the material even before you start the mass uh, really sets the tone for what is this Sunday's liturgy all about in terms of the readings, in terms of the the, the mode, where the where the church is this time of year in in the breviary, cetera. Another good missile is the Angelus Press missile uh, mm-hmm. that was. Um, that project would kind of had a synthesis of several different hand missiles and updated to, I think want to say it was the mid nineties when that was done. So, um, the, the whole point was it was getting harder to find really good hand missiles that you could still order that weren't, um, really getting, starting to get archaic. So that was a project just to get something a little more up to date. Uh, there are any number of, of good hand missiles, um, not just one <laughs> i 've never actually used the Baronius uh, missile, but uh, I, I know a lot of people who do, and it 's certainly a valid option
1: yeah, and just a quick note about the the forty five missile that you mentioned that you have. I have a friend who has one of those, and um, it, just a little caveat there are some differences there are are a few feasts that are different, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so, you know, you might be there with your 1945 missile and you're expecting the feast of such and such. And it turns out that in the 62, it's the feast of so-and-so. There aren't many differences. I mean, it's not, there's not so many differences that it's a deal breaker. It's a completely valid, excellent, good missile to have. And Super Nerd is right. The Baronius Press missile has just tiny little blurbs, like three sentences, um, explaining the theme of the mass, the, the St. Andrew missile, it has, you know, I don't know if you call it a discourse, but it has significant text. I mean, it's, you know, something with, with some meat to it that you can really, that you can really, uh, clamp down on. So yeah, that's, that's absolutely great. Um, Let's see where to go from here. How big it is. How to get one. Oh, they cost about fifty bucks. I mean, you know, that's what I paid for mine um, ten years ago, and they're they're strong, sturdy books. And I mean, it's a it's a small price to pay. Again, you got a book that's got twenty two hundred pages, and it just it just filled with with all kinds of content, supplemental prayers, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it, it'll be some of the best 50 bucks you ever spend in your life if you get one. And we'll put links up to to purchase um, all the different versions that we've talked about. And, and they're it, all good. If that
0: sounds really expensive and you have that smartphone that you you just can't separate oh, yeah. yourself from, there is there is a free version online that, that uh, we can put out the link for that. And, and uh, it, it's kind of comical. There are times... Uh, depending upon which mass I go to on Sunday. Uh, some folks have iPads and they're following the mass on the iPad, which I thought was cool until I saw it in action. That, that glowing blue light out of the corner of my eyes is just kind of weird, but uh, yeah. you know, it, it works. Um, so we, we can send the link out for that if for no other reason than to prepare. And that's one of the things I wanted to mention is that um, following along uh, the act of participation in my mind is more contemplation than anything else. And to really get the most out of it, you have to prepare ahead of time. I mean, if you're a serious golfer, you're going to find out what the lay of, of the golf course is. You're going to read reviews from other people who have played the course before. You're not going to just walk in and play it cold. Same thing with the mass. I mean, at the very least, uh, on a Sunday mass, read the introit, the very first part of the introit, which is the first um, uh, prayer that that is the first variable prayer that that said. That's uh, a sentence or two from one of the psalms. Well, mm-hmm. crack out your Bible and read that entire psalm because that sets the tone for the Mass, liturgically speaking. Uh, The other readings are all going to be based on that theme, but you're not going to read the whole psalm in the intro. It's one or two sentences, and then there's another two sentences from a a, a different prayer usually. So read ahead of time. Read the Epistle and Gospel. Read, if you have access to it, the breviary. All of this is put together in an organic sense so that if you are not looking at at, at, um, the liturgy or the readings until you are at Mass and halfway through Mass— it's it's like trying to navigate a country, and the first time you ever get there, you're halfway trying to, to get from city A to city B. You're finally pulling out the map for the first time and saying, well, what side of the road do they drive on here? And what do these signs yeah. mean? If you don't study ahead of time, you're not going to get much out of it, and that gets to another principle in moral theology. You only can receive the graces that you are disposed to receive. So if, if you do all your preparation ahead of time, read the prayers the night before if you can. That way— uh, you don't have to actually follow in the missile. It, it, it to me, following in the missile can be distracting in a way. I mean, the point isn't to be on the right page. Uh, the priest has, has that job. But <laughs> if you if you know what the theme of the liturgy is for this day, what the point of the prayers are, that is good fuel for your contemplation to 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 think about during the mass. And if you get distracted for one reason or another, the hand missile is a great thing to go back to. It reminds me of the movie uh, Finding Forrester where the character played by Sean Connery uh, is teaching this, this young kid how to become a writer and he's having trouble starting off writing something. And he said, okay, copy the first couple paragraphs of, of this article I wrote until you find your own words and then take off from there. The idea being if you, if you're having trouble, uh, glomming onto something to contemplate it on, okay, fine, pick up your hand missile and follow along on the prayers again. Um, you hear the priest say, uh, to us also that sinful servants. <laughs> I should know the Latin on this one. Um, no,
1: bis pe- no bis quoque peccatorius. Right, I was about to
0: say two or three different other things, but the, the point <laughs> being that that once you get back on, on track with what's being said, you get to that part of the Mass, and then you can take off against, okay, this part of the Mass is all about uh, to us... Also sinful people, um, you don't. It's more important to understand the, the the principle of what's being said and make the prayer in your heart and join that with the mass than it is to be, you know, letter perfect reading along at the same time. I mean, that could be a, a technically accurate and arid experience versus understanding what the point is of this part of mass and joining your heart with it.
1: Oh sure, absolutely. I'm so glad that you said that because you know, for some people, the Latin almost becomes like a fetish. So I'm really glad that you you said that that you could do do that and be completely arid. That's a very good word to use. Um, but I think, especially for someone that's that's learning, who's just coming in at the beginning, just so that you, you are familiar and you learn the mass and you learn what the mass is. Um, I would recommend following through. And then once as super nerd said, you know, once time develops and, and you get settled in, then you can just, you can use, especially the propers. There's, there are seven points in the mass where the specific prayer at that point in the mass changes every day. And so um, you can use those propers as a launching point for whatever your deeper comp- contemplation is that day. Now, me personally, um, there are at the very beginning of the mass, there are, there's what's called prayers at the foot of the altar, which of course they eliminated in uh, the Novus Ordo. And if you, I'm sure everybody, well, obviously everyone listening to this goes to my website, and you see at the top of the page that, the you know, the title of, of my website is just Barnhart. And underneath, there's a subtitle, and it says, Judica me Deus et to de causam meam de gente non-sancta. Um, Judge me, O God, and distinguish my cause from the nation that is not holy. Um, that is the first line at the... Uh, at the prayers at the foot of the altar it's Psalm 42 Um, this is said at every mass and it's a back and forth between the priest and the server and if there's not a server now this is where I'm going to opine a little bit I think that the people in the nave should be silent. I, I don't like it as much when the people in the nave are are vocally making the responses, whether there's a server there or not. Um, I think if there's a server there that the people in the nave should be silent. Now I'm, I am praying those prayers right along with them, but I'm not making any vocal noises. I'm, it's all at a whisper. I'm moving my teeth Uh, my lips and my teeth and there's air coming out of my mouth, but there's, I never, ever, ever vocalize, never vocalize. Um, I think that's the way, the best way, because what happens is that, some people are kind of silly and goofy, and they get the idea that they are going to be the dominant voice. Um, some people are silly and goofy and think that they are proving themselves to be more pious, more holy, and more Catholic than the person next to them. If they can say the Latin response fastest, I, I experience that a lot and it's really distracting well, and something, it's it, something
0: to keep in mind. There is the altar servers are there in place of
1: exactly ordained yep.
0: ministers. And this is something when I was training altar servers, I would uh, every once in a while remind them that if, if they are all vested up and ready to go for mass uh, to, to serve mass and, and we're about 10 seconds until father's ready to go to the altar and a group of four or five, Acolyte or higher seminarians walk in, and says, "Kids, get lost. We're serving mass." Those people have the right to serve mass. Yes. Altar servers who are, you know, non ordained individuals, uh, and I don't mean priests. It's just the lower the lower orders, uh, the minor orders. Uh, you have the privilege of 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 uh, serving on the altar, and that privilege is revoked if somebody with the right shows up and invokes it. So, in terms of people responding and thinking they should. Uh, Keep in mind why the altar servers are even there. It's because you don't typically have a full cadre of of people with minor orders to serve the masses. And Mm -hmm. in terms of why should you not speak when you're in the nave, are you ordained? Do you have any minor orders? Then be quiet. (laughs) That's why the people are on the altar. (laughs)
1: That's right. And that's just kind of (laughs) ironic coming from me, coming from me. But that's something that contemporary culture just needs to understand is that sometimes you just need to shut up. You're praying. You can absolutely praying in your mind. And like I said, I even when we're when they're saying the prayers at the foot of the altar, I'm I'm whispering it, you know, so that hopefully nobody else around me can hear it. But I'm I'm absolutely whispering it but it is not my place. I don't believe to be vocalizing, especially as a woman. It's not my place to be vocalizing. I prefer it. I think what a priest should do when a priest is saying low mass and there isn't even a server, I vastly prefer when the priest makes, says both his part and the response and just ends the question. You know, I I think that's, that's the best way to do it. Uh, but you know, obviously, it's it's going to be different from place to place, uh, but and if it is somewhere where people are, you know, people in the nave are, I've I've seen many times I've seen people in the nave um, competing with and literally trying to shout down the server. I mean, it's it sometimes it just gets absolutely ridiculous. Don't don't let it ruin your life if something like that happens. I try to have a sense of humor about it, and if it's really really bad, you know, I have. A couple of times, I have talked to people and said, "You're you're way too loud. You need to you need to defer to the server." And I don't. It usually doesn't go over too well. But the
0: irony of uh, Ann telling somebody else they're too loud, I, notwithstanding. Right? Yeah.
1: Right. Stop talking and telling someone to stop talking. Exactly. Notwithstanding. Um, and well, so on that the topic, prayers
0: I mean, this, this is, this is a topic that we could literally spend the rest of our lives on and never scratch the surface because this is an immense, it's an infinite treasure. And I point this out because we're well over an hour and I don't know if we want to go yeah. 90 minutes again. Um, <laughs> do we want to continue for a few more minutes or pick it up again next week?
1: Uh, let's see. Well, we, we've we done the prayers at the foot of the altar. I think that's probably— <laughs> we're, we're,
0: we're an hour Hi, in. We just good, covered the prayers at the foot of the prayers altar. Prayers at
1: the foot of the altar, yeah. So, yeah, we should, we, let's stop there, and then we'll pick it back up, and we'll talk about the propers. We'll start with the intro it and we'll talk about the propers next time. And maybe we can just make this um, kind of a feature for the next however many podcasts it takes to get all the way through, to get all the way through the Mass, the last Gospel, the Leonine prayer, Prayers, ha, ha, ha. And Thanksgiving after Mass. And um, let's see, I, I I would bet that it'll take us probably four podcasts to do something like that.
0: You're optimistic. And, yeah. <laughs> well, considering this is a Mass that has been around almost 2,000 years and all the saints of the Western Church, well, not all of them, but a lot of them have written uh, libraries on, on the liturgy. It is something that you cannot tap the richness of it. And, and so you know, it's an ambitious project to even try to address it at all because— there are so many levels of, of significance and meaning that just getting through the most basic level can be daunting. But to the point, um, we are targeting people who are—well, at least we, we said at the top of the, the episode—people who are not yet Catholic and who— want to learn something about the faith, so maybe I shouldn't be so grandiose and so intimidating with the idea of, of the— Well,
1: can- but also, also super nerd, Novus ordoists who are looking at what's going on and saying, you know what, I, I think I do want to go and check out the Latin Mass and see what's going on there. I think a lot of Novus, Ordo, Novus ordoists in particular, have been lied to and told, you know, the old Mass is terrible and you can't understand anything and it's completely dry experience, blah, blah. Blah blah. When it's exactly the opposite. Well, if you it don't try the, to
0: understand it, it will be ununderstandable. I mean, I've right, made the analogy yeah. to going to the opera before, and I use that because this is something I've you know began to experience in the last ten or fifteen years. You can't go into an opera cold and expect to get anything out of it. You've got to study the libretto ahead of time. You've got to listen to the music. You have got to understand. In some cases, what was the the, the history and the political circumstances at the time that the, the play or, or the opera was composed and for example Marriage mm-hmm. of Figaro you've kind of got to know a little bit about the fact of what's going on in France and the the situation of, of Emperor Joseph in, in, in um, Austria at the time to really get the full sense of, of the conflict that is happening not just on the surface but even behind the scenes and the different levels down and how the political conflict is not there in the text of, of, of the opera but it gets added into the music the mass is way more Rich, even than that.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely everything. Everything in the mass has purpose and meaning. And the Roman rite, in particular, um, it it's it seems to me that it's just it's just the perfection. It is it is the liturgical perfection of what we can do here on earth for for offering the holy and august sacrifice of Calvary and um, every little thing has enormous meaning. Um, and so we're not going to be able to obviously talk about all of it, but for those of you who are, you know, thinking about this, interested. We'll just give you a little, a little primer, and maybe for some of you who are already trads and have been going to mass, super nerd will have some insight that you'll say, "Oh, I've I've never heard, I've never heard that before," you know, and um, you'll get something out of it too. So yeah, we'll call this a little, a little minor project.
0: And even though I've been going to the uh, traditional mass my entire life, every once in a while I'll come across something that just blows my mind with with what I'm yeah. learning I mean I, I read a book recently that was a theological theological critique of the new mass but at every step along the way the author was comparing it to the old mass and I learned a bunch of stuff about the structure of the, of the old mass that I didn't even know and and mm-hmm. this is you know it's not for lack of studying that I don't know some of these things it's about the old mass but it, it is an infinite treasure so yes. I think my, my challenge on on going through this this podcast series is I'm going to want to go deep on some of these topics and that may not that may be less than helpful since we're trying to introduce this to people who maybe have not gone to this mass before.
1: Well, hopefully, Super Nerd, you know, you've got triple digit numbering on the old podcast. So maybe before we get to podcast number 1000, we can uh, we can go deep on these things.
0: We might be able to get through the epistle by that point. Right? (laughs) Speaking of masses, general reminder, masses for Anne's benefactors are said Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and now Thursdays. And there's also a weekly Requiem Mass. Uh, Please remember to join your intentions with these masses. If you have feedback, questions, comments, ideas for active participation, the email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. This podcast is produced by Super Nerd Media. If you found some value in this episode and would like to return some value, you can do that over at supernerdmedia.com. Thank you to all the recent donors. I don't have the list of names uh, handy. I do want to say a special thank you to, well, let's just say K is is the first initial of his name, who sent a a very nice uh, note. And also pointing out that uh, he listened to podcast ten through twenty three on a cross country trip, uh, taking his daughter to college. And uh, he, he said, "Let Anne know that she has a convert listener in his daughter, and that your frank talk has helped strengthen her Catholic faith." So that that is awesome. Um, any parting ideas and thoughts or points of contemplation for active participation for this week? <laughs>
1: Well, I just want to reiterate my my gratitude to one and all and to you super nerd and um also prayers for all of our friends out there listening and I, I can see you sometimes on the real time the real time website stats um, down around Houston and everybody down around Florida special shout out to our friend uh, Frank Walker who is the um, editor, curator, whatever you want to call it of the uh, the Trad Catholic Drudge Report equivalent which is Canon 212 C-A-N-O-N 212.com Frank um, is a parent, I think Frank 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 lives on the east coast of Florida, and so um, he. It wasn't so bad, but um, just because the the hurricane Irma didn't turn out to be a Category Five superstorm that was basically the equivalent of an F five tornado completely destroying the entire Florida peninsula, it was still bad guys. I mean, I've noticed that, that, you know, well, if it isn't the the biggest, most horrible thing ever, then it must not have been any big deal at all. Eh, It was still a big deal. And a lot of people are going to be suffering both on the Florida peninsula and in Houston. So um, we'll keep those people in, in our in our thoughts and prayers and um, uh, reiterating, be very careful about who you donate money to. Um, You can't be too careful about these things. Um, Make sure that if you do give anybody any money, that it's, it is going to help people and it's not just feeding some, Government NGO or or you know con artists basically and you Clinton know I, 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 or ourselves. the Clinton Foundation exactly exactly so be careful about that don't let you know don't let emotional sentiments uh, take your take your reason away um, be very careful but yeah these these people are going to be suffering down there going to be suffering down there for quite some time so we'll keep all of them in our prayers as well
0: absolutely. And until next week, I am Super Nerd.
1: And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless.